0: You're listening to the Wonderlust Swingers Podcast with Aussie hosts Kate and Daryl. If you're curious about exploring your sexuality or the swinging, wiping and non monogamous lifestyle, you've definitely come to the right podcast. Or maybe you just love travel adventures. Either way, we share our personal, sometimes juicy, sexy stories, as well as swingers club and event reviews, interviews with other sassy people, and of course, our global swinging adventures. We try to bring you a look into the diverse lifestyle that the swinging and non monogamous community has. We hope you enjoy. let's get into the episode. Hey, guys and welcome back to another episode of the Wanderlust Swingers podcast. Today's bonus episode is dedicated to the legal challenges and issues that sex workers and those in the adult entertainment industry face. If you're just joining us now, I'd love for you to go back and check out our other bonus episode we released earlier this month, where we interviewed the founder of a mental health organisation specialising in the adult industry. As more swinging couples and singles join the sex worker and adult industry, we've noticed some troubling things about the knowledge of legal requirements and protection of sex workers. So today's second bonus episode, I had the opportunity to interview Michael about the ins and outs of the adult industry and why seeking legal support is so important. We talk about everything from setting up an LLC to why contracts and model release documents are paramount. Michael shares some insight into what could go wrong and how to navigate those issues as they arrive. We've personally had friends in the adult industry who have had their personal details shared online. We've had friends who have had a falling out after starting joint accounts, parents with their sex worker profiles shared at their kids' school and more. And this is all in the last two years as the online adult entertainment industry has flourished. So even if you're not in the adult industry, I hope that you find this episode enlightening. Perhaps you know somebody who's in the adult entertainment industry. Perhaps you're thinking about it yourself. We know this is a little bit different than our normal swinging lifestyle content, but we still hope that you find value in this. If nothing else, it opens up your eyes to something new and different. So thanks so much for joining in to our second bonus episode this month, all about sex work and the adult entertainment industry. Really appreciate you guys listening to this. So now let's go listen to what Michael has to say. Thanks so much, guys. G'day, everybody, and welcome back to a bonus episode of the Wanderlust Swingers podcast. I currently have Michael Faderosi on the line with me, and we're going to do an interview today all about adult industry law. Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm the bonus episode? That's the,
0: awesome. The bonus episode, yeah. I'm the
1: bonus episode. I've never been the bonus episode before. Thank you.
0: Well, we, we're actually, you're a double bonus episode this month. I'm a so double bonus episode. Yeah, you get all the props, all the gold stars. <laughs> Before we get started, we're going to be talking all about adult industry law and a little bit of inside tips from Michael, but Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started.
1: Well, I've been doing, uh, I've been an attorney for, wow, I'm trying to count this back now, 25 years. Oh my God, I'm old. And I'm licensed to practice in California, and I have specialized in adult representation and the adult industry since 2003. So I'm coming up on my 20-year anniversary exclusively in the adult industry. I started off in L.A. doing a lot of employment law for the big studios. I represented Fox and the Dodgers and Universal and... Warner Brothers. And so basically back in around 2003 was when we had a a biggest, a a very large HIV outbreak in the industry. And I knew some people who knew some people and the FSC asked me to come and give a speech to the studios about what their rights and responsibilities were when it came to an HIV outbreak onset. And so I did, I came and told them what they needed to know and they didn't like what I had to say. (laughs) And, and that's that's also one of the things about the industry that most people don't realize in the United States. And again, this mostly applies to California and applies to the United States. So if we have foreigners listening, I'm not a an, an attorney in Europe or Africa or Singapore or Japan. This is United States law and mostly California law. In California, performers are considered employees, as are most directors, photographers, and all those things. And so... Uh, When I got in, that was sort of the way mainstream treats their staff and their actors, Uh, but yet the adult industry hasn't and never has, and so that kind of started me in, and I kind of got to know more and more people in the industry and decided, hey, this is something I really I really enjoy because before getting into the industry, I had – I dated and lived with a female exotic dancer for four years before going to law school. I DJed at strip clubs. I'd gone to strip clubs. And then when I got into law school, I actually dated the granddaughter of the man who founded the industry in Los Angeles. So I got to know a lot about the beginnings of the industry in Los Angeles. And, you know, it was never a dream of mine to be a porn attorney. It wasn't something that I set out to do, but I kind of just fell into it. And so 2003, I start and that's right about the time that the Internet and the DVD market is starting to take off. So Porn Valley is killing it with scenes. Businesses are going crazy. Uh, New businesses are starting up all the time. This is before the recession in 2008. So people just, you know, they have so much built up money. They're starting porn companies. There's thousands of performers working in LA. And so that's kind of what my entry was. I got to see the, what I like to refer to as the second golden era of porn. Obviously, the first is back in the 70s when it really kind of starts off. The second golden era is when it's DVDs and Internet all shooting at once. At one point in time, I represented a couple of agents and we sat down and figured out that there was something along the lines of like almost 300 scenes a day being shot in Los Angeles. Just in Los Angeles. Jesus. Yes. I mean, there was so much content being produced. And that's kind of where I said, okay, well, this is an industry I want to work in. These are people I like, and there's plenty of work here. So let me just specialize in this. And so now, yes, all but one of my clients is in the adult industry. I don't do anything else other than law related to the adult industry, which you know involves trademark and entity formation and contract negotiations and contract drafting. Even litigation, uh, arbitration, copyright infringement, trademark infringement. So, you know, it's, it's basically being an entertainment lawyer, but for the adult industry with a little bit of extra things. I mean, I've also consulted on divorce cases, child custody cases, all different types of stuff. It's, it's a very interesting practice of law. I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate to do this because now I live in the wonderful country of the Netherlands. And I've got clients that range from Australia to the United States to Canada to Europe to Japan. And, you know, I can basically cover the entire planet by being where I am now.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually a a good timeline to time zone to be on here in Europe if you are working with people from so many different locations um, around the world. So absolutely.
1: I just end up staying up till about two o'clock in the morning. I bet. Which is five o'clock in Los Angeles, so I I keep myself available until the end of business in Los Angeles, and then I'm up at six or seven, so I catch, you know, if somebody tries to get a hold of me after five, I can usually catch them before they go to sleep in Los Angeles.
0: So, so in 2003, adult biz law was kind of was kind of born out of this, I guess, interest in being around the adult entertainment industry and having both been personally around it, and then obviously doing some collaboration work as well and you've obviously then gone and specialized in it so you mentioned before that a lot of your clients all but one are in the adult industry yes. aside from those big production companies aside from all of that i know you mentioned a lot of some of the stuff that you do there, like copyright registration etc but what kinds of support do you actually offer say solo adult performers people that maybe you know just you're you're jane doe that's not a big production company what sort of support do you offer to those types of people
1: exactly the same that's what people in the industry have to realize is that whether and I, I've seen this come up recently where there's this, you know, well, we're the amateur porn industry. We aren't the mainstream porn. There is no such thing. It's just the porn industry. There's there's no rules that apply to amateurs that are any different that apply to professionally shot porn. All the same rules apply, all the same laws apply. 2257, you know, copyright, trademark infringement, everything. It it, it applies equally. So you know That's what a lot of people forget when they get into this industry and they start producing content. They forget that they're standing on the shoulders of giants. And what I mean by that is lots of people in the past, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, went to prison for creating adult content. They fought legal battles. There are Supreme Court cases. The, the man that I told you about, the grandfather uh, of the woman I dated, he who founded the industry in Los Angeles – He had three Supreme Court cases that he fought all the way up in one. He was responsible for bringing the karma sutra into this country. And so, you know, you have to be cognizant. You have to be aware of the fact that when you're producing adult content, it's not mainstream. What you're probably doing is illegal, even if you're shooting it. And there's only two states where you can legally produce adult content in America, California and New Hampshire, every all the other states. It's a gray area. And what a lot of people don't realize if they're a small solo, you know, producer on OnlyFans or on any one of the other platforms that what they may be doing would actually be considered prostitution. If you are the producer, if you are the talent in, in the scene and you're paying someone else to engage in sex with you, you, that's still prostitution. Whether there's a, a camera or a model release involved is immaterial because what protects porn in the United States from prosecution is the fact that the person who is paying the actors is not receiving the sexual gratification. That person is paying the actors to act with each other and they're recording it for distribution. And so that's something I don't think a lot of people realize when they contact me because I can't tell you how many people have contacted me that are like, Oh, I want to start up a POV company. Well, okay, you can. I mean, you know, everything about adults is about uh, a risk reward balances. And if you're a very risk adverse not the industry to be in. If you're okay with risks, then then you're probably better suited for the adult industry.
0: Well, I mean, that does lead me to my my next kind of thought then. You just mentioned that even if you're a solo online performer, you're still in the the, the grander body of just general porn production and really it's not two different things. So is it important for, say, me, I'm, I'm a solo online perf- yes. performer, Is it important for me to have an entity or an LLC? Again, even if I'm just Kate here, sitting here making porn, putting it up on an online distribution site, is it important for me to form an entity or an LLC?
1: Well, it depends what you're doing. If you're just on OnlyFans or another platform and you're not performing with anyone else, then from a legality standpoint, uh, it's really immaterial. Uh, From a tax standpoint, it may be completely different. But from my perspective as a lawyer, you really don't have any liability because you're not performing with anybody you're not paying anybody to perform with you no one could fall down and trip in your house and break their their neck and sue you for you know workers compensation or injuries so the amount of liability you have legally is limited what your tax liability is and how much you earn and whether it goes on to your personal return or Those are all accountancy issues, and I don't handle accountancy. So what I always tell people when they come to me and they want to form either an LLC or an Inc. in the United States because those are the two basic corporations that you have, I say, well, first talk to your accountant and see which one works the best for you based upon your assets. And then come back to me, and then we'll talk about what works Mm -hmm. best for you from a legality standpoint.
0: And so, okay, let's let's flip that on its head then. I've taken I've taken my solo online performance on the road. A lot of people in the swinging lifestyle, so non monogamous couples, are now swingers are making content together. So, my husband and I, Daryl, go out and we meet another couple and we're like, "Yep, we want to have sex with you," but also we're going to film it and we're going to put it up and we're going to sell it online. Tell me about that scenario. How how much does that change from your solo performer, Kate, to now being you know having sex with other people and producing content and putting that up line?
1: It all depends on whether or not you're paying the other couple. See, that's really what changes all of these equations. It's perfectly legal to film people having sex. That's a protected First Amendment, right?
0: bit of fun too, I would imagine. Yeah,
1: but it's when (laughs) you you introduce the payment of monies into the situation – then it changes the nature of, of the relationship. Just, you know, just think about it from a personal standpoint. I can go out and meet a woman and have sex with her and that's perfectly legal. Or I can go out in America, meet a woman, offer her money for sex, and now it becomes illegal. And so it's the same thing with porn, not so much in a legality standpoint, but in the sense that when you start paying people, they're more than likely to be your employees. And when they're your employees, you owe them a duty to protect them. So in that sense, you, you know have to follow employment laws just like any other company, even though they're only going to work for you for three hours, six hours, whatever it takes to film that scene. They're your temporary employee for that amount of time. So if something happens to them on set, you're responsible. If they pick up a disease on set like HIV, you're responsible. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not paying people and you're co-producing the scene, and everybody is kind of sharing in the content, then that's a different relationship because then you're all kind of like producers and nobody really works for anybody. So it's really based upon the relationship, how it forms, how it's treated, and how, how you act with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and I guess, so monetary exchange, does that, I mean, would that extend past, say, I'm, you know, Michael, I'm going to give you $500 in cash to come and have sex with me and my husband. We're going to film it. We're going to put it up online. That's obviously a monetary exchange. Very simple, very easy to navigate. Mm -hmm. What if I then said, Michael, I'm going to fly you out to come and see me. I'm going to put you up up in a hotel and then you're going to come over and have sex with me and Daryl. So I'm not physically giving you cash, but I'm giving you, I guess, net benefit in other areas. For me, that's still monetary exchange. I mean, in your eyes, is is that still the same thing or are those different things?
1: Yeah, it's still the same thing because you're giving me a monetary value.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. And uh, I mean, I know these are going to be some really, really, I guess, in-depth questions for you, but... We're talking about these these two sets of performers. Then you know maybe this using that example this other couple that we find we're going to have sex with them and it's like you said before the the co-producer side of things where maybe we're not exchanging money but we're both going to go and sell that content on our own uh, webcams or websites or whatever it is. So what is the most important factors to put in that contract between those those two performers that might be considered co-producers?
1: Well, you know, I, I actually have a packet of forms that I sell on my website for $125, and I've got content share forms, and I've got content trade forms. And what most people don't realize is there's a difference. There's a difference, and there's actually three different model releases that I sell. The paid model release, which is what everybody uses. The content trade, which is I do a scene for you, you do a scene for me. OK, and then there's the content share release, which means, you know, we're all going to perform in a scene or maybe I'm going to film the scene and the three of you are going to perform or I'm going to film the scene. Two of you are going to perform and then I, this other third person will edit. We're all going to contribute our efforts to making the scene work. Yep. And so in that sense, as long as everybody has the same rights, then you really don't have to worry about it because using that release does exactly that. If it's a trade, you get a little bit closer to an employment situation with a trade because you're instead of exchanging money, you're exchanging services, which gets you closer, but it's not as clear as I'm paying you money. So when it comes to the share, you know, if you're going to put restrictions on the content, you know, let's say you get together with another couple and you have an OnlyFans account, but they don't have an OnlyFans account. They have a ManyVids account. So you want to say, hey, we get to use it on OnlyFans, but you don't, and you get to use it on many vids, but we don't, mm, then, yeah. that, then that has to be drafted into the contract. right? So all of those little you know, stickler things, mm-hmm. so, you, know, you really have to put that into the contract because otherwise you know, they could have full rights to do whatever they want. And once right. you sign it, once you shoot it, you know, they decide that, okay, well, you know what? We're going to make money off of OnlyFans, so you know, we like those people, but we don't like them more than money.
0: Right. So
1: we're <laughs> going to put it up on OnlyFans.
0: Well, I mean that leads me to another great question then. So say you've got this contract and we have stipulated like you said maybe you're going to put it on OnlyFans, I'm going to put it on many vids. We've agreed to a price, say we're going to sell it for I don't know 75 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever it looks out looks like. Mm-hmm. What what do you say to say I then approach you and I'm looking at Michael the lawyer and I say, "Hey, this person they're using this this content. We've not agreed to it. I don't like the fact that they're placing it on this other website. I don't like the fact that they're doing a special on that uh, content this month, and they've reduced the price by seventy five percent. You know what I mean? Like, how how does that then play out with these two performers that maybe are disagreeing on how that content's then being used?
1: Well, it depends how much money you have and whether or not you want to spend the time and effort to legally enforce your agreement. And it also depends on where the content is posted. We're, we're in the day and age where MasterCard is actually the arbiter of what gets posted online and what doesn't get posted online, even more so than courts, even more so than the federal government. So could you contact Uh, MasterCard and say, hey, you know, these people are going beyond the agreement that we have. Could you take it down? MasterCard probably wouldn't. But if you wanted to be underhand and sneaky and just say, I don't give my consent for that to be posted at that point, MasterCard would probably take it down. And that's kind of the problem that we have now in the industry where the model releases are good. And they're enforceable, but if MasterCard doesn't, you know, like what somebody's saying about your content, then you have to go fight with MasterCard, or you have to fight with the person who's claiming that you don't have rights. It's an involved thing of, of arbitration, which you have to pay for, which in the United States could be anywhere from twenty thousand to thirty-five thousand dollars.
0: Right. So when you're looking at then the so you said before you've got three different types of forms on your website for $125. In there in that I guess that model release form or that contract between these these two performers. Do you have recommendations for like this these are the must have items in this contract and these are some good to have items or things to think about like for example what happens when we make a disagreement on you putting that up somewhere that I didn't agree to who's paying legal fees like do you have certain recommendations extra I guess that you that you put in these forms online that you have
1: I mean, listen, the The truth of the matter is, and, and this is the unfortunate part, is that lawyers cost money. And lawyers cost a lot more money to fix a problem than it is to prevent a problem.
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: And y- y- you wouldn't remove your own appendix, shouldn't do your own taxes, and you shouldn't write your own contracts. And so while it may cost a couple hundred dollars or you know, euros to get a lawyer to review the contract and set it up correctly from the beginning, that's a lot less than they would charge when you come to them and go, Hey, I've got a problem because now they're going to charge you to review the contract. They're going to charge you to give you a a consult on it. And then they're going to say, well, you're probably going to have to sue them or you're going to have to go to arbitration if you want to enforce this. So even if you're a small producer, you should really realize that setting up your company legally and making sure the documents are done legally. Now, you know, in porn, there's a way that I can draft contracts where, you know, you can cross out certain clauses, but, you know, you don't need to have stuff redrafted every single time so it's custom for everything. So you can kind of save some money that way, but you should not ignore the legal aspect of producing porn wherever you are you know, you could be producing porn in a place where it's illegal and not even know it. So I always tell people, if you were opening up any kind of business, any kind of business, if you were opening up a dry cleaners, you wouldn't open up a business without ever talking to a lawyer. And and it's the same thing with opening up an online, you know, platform, uh, a profile on a platform. You just can't, you know, ignore the legalities of what you're doing.
0: So what what would happen if two people did start creating content? Say I had a friend in the Swinging Lifestyle and, you know, it was it maybe a girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever it was, it was a friend of mine. And I said to that person, Hey, you know what? I think that it's going to, we're going to earn, earn more money. If you and I create content together, we'll put it up online. So we can maybe create like a joint account. We put it up online. This person's my friend. They're not beholden to me in any way, shape or form. I'm not married to them. What happens when those two people start creating content, have a falling out? Who owns that content at that point?
1: That's a good question. Um, and that has been the basis for a lot of litigation in the industry because people don't do things correctly in the beginning. They have to then figure it out at the end. And depending on how much content is created, it may or may not be worth litigating over. You know, if you have something where you've got, you know, a few scenes shot and not that much money uh, invested, then it's probably just better to walk away from it. If mm-hmm. you have, you know, if you have several hundred sheets scene shot and you've paid, You know whether it's a cameraman or camera person or hotel fees or whatever it may be to cost to cost out that content. And let's say you've got you know a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars spent on content creation, you're going to want to talk to a lawyer and possibly litigate that. And so you know it really depends. There can be co copyright owners of a scene, and often that is the case where you have someone, or if you have a couple or a couple of friends the court could deem them co-owners of the content and both of you can use the content without having to pay profit to the other one. Right. So, and it really depends. I mean, what role did you have in creating this content? If you're totally in front of the camera and the friend or the partner or the husband or the wife or whatever is completely behind the camera and they're shooting everything and they're taking pictures of everything they're going to be deemed to be the copyright holder because it's the person who fixes the intangible of the scene into the medium, which is the hard drive or film or, you know, whatever. And so they're considered the copyright holder. You would have rights as a model, actress, performer, and they would have copyright ownership over the scenes.
0: Right. So that's really interesting. So say you did have that person who was maybe filming it, then went and edited all the content. You know, maybe, maybe even it's a group scene and there's three other swingers involved and then say my husband was a cameraman. And mm-hmm. if he then goes and takes that footage, edits the footage, distributes it to all three of us, and then he's then promoting it and doing all the back end of it, he would be the one that would be deemed as the the owner and the three people in front of the camera are just the actress and actors. Yep. That's really I, – I didn't realize that. That is, You've blown my mind today, Michael.
1: Yeah, and so what you have to make sure that you do is you have to get model releases signed you have to get 2257 documents signed you've got to get copies of ids you have to get work for hire signed or if you're sharing content then you know you have one contract that kind of covers it all because everybody's kind of you know sharing in the proceeds of the uh, of everyone's work but yeah if you don't have the right documents you can end up in litigation and that has happened and that's not only happened with amateurs it's happened with big companies big big companies have forgotten this and and this is one of the things that people i think you know forget about this industry they they look at a big studio they look at a big platform and go oh well they must spend a ton of money on lawyers the answer is no okay i've had cases against big companies where they've had really bad legal advice because quite honestly this is a specific niche industry and unless your attorney practices this a good amount of his his or her day, they're going to miss stuff because it's not like being an entertainment attorney in Hollywood. Okay. I've done both. There's certain laws that are specific to this. There's industry customs and standards that are specific to this. Now, of course, work for hires, copyright law, it's the same whether you're writing books, making porn or doing mainstream movies. But the problem is, is that people often think like, oh, well, I'm just going to copy what the big company does and I'll be fine. And I can tell you that just happened to me over the weekend. I had a performer that bought uh, contracts off of me and she was like, well, I looked at your model release and I work, and I looked at this big company's model release and theirs is a lot shorter. And I'm like, yes, it's a lot shorter, but it's also not nearly as good. Well, why would they be using that? I mean, they're, you know, supersized company. Why would they be using that if it wasn't any good? And I, and I I had to tell her, I go, This is a company I've had issues with. They're not a well-run company. From a legal standpoint, they're not well-run. And people just assume that big companies spend money on lawyers. They're no different than the small producers sometimes where they don't want to spend money on lawyers.
0: And I think the flip side of that is, like we said earlier in the episode here, is that sometimes solo performers will go, well, I'm just Kate. I'm just a solo performer. You know, it's not that important. Whereas, you know, sitting here talking to you, and, and I've been thinking about this for some time. I think these these contracts and having these specific things about how you can promote, uh, who owns the content, what happens if there's a disagreement, where you can promote, how much you can promote it for,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what information can you share. You know, even little things like um, maybe you're going to put a snippet of a scene up on social media somewhere or on Reddit somewhere because you're trying to entice people to come to your site to, to purchase or many vids or only wherever it's sitting. And you're going to use that snippet. That snippet has my face in it. You know, something yep. as simple as that. I just don't think so many people think about it because it's, um, you know, they're wrapped up in it. Maybe it's exciting. It's obviously sexually gratifying. Maybe that's, you know, of monetary benefit to them. So I think all of these little minute details, like you said, although it may exist in a longer version of these contracts um, and forms that are on your website, personally, I think having that key to that information to say, hey, here's some things you need to think about, for me would be much more significant than a, than a quick one and done, let's get it over and done with so we can create the scene. Um, because like you said, pro- protection up front in the swing and lifestyle by you know protecting yourself against STIs, etc., means a lot to us. And I can see the same thing for porn creation.
1: Yes, very much so. And, you know, people often forget that, you know, you, you have to take care of business first before you have the fun, you know, and it's the same thing within the swinging community. You want to make sure everything's taken care of before the fun starts. And if you don't, that's when mistakes are made. And that often happens in an adult. Unfortunately, it really does.
0: Yeah. And I mean, talking about mistakes and I guess thinking about, uh, and we're going to talk about OnlyFans in specifically here, because since since COVID kind of came, OnlyFans, as we know, has grown exponentially. So have other sites, don't get me wrong, but, you know, we saw kind of half a million users one in one day registered for OnlyFans um, quite early into the pandemic. So my question is, have you specifically, Michael, noticed any trends that are concerning you in the adult industry for maybe some of these um, solo or smaller content creators? Um,
1: yeah, I, you know, the, the trend that I see is that they're, they're, they're not taking what they're doing. They, they don't, well, it depends the kind of content they're producing. Okay. If, if they're producing topless photos or nudity, then that's not really considered porn. That's more of like Playboy style. But as soon as they do anything that looks masturbatory, okay? And I'll give you for an example. You have a woman. It's a naked picture. She's standing there, and her hands are down by her side. And that's artistic nude. No 2257, no pornography, just a nude photo. You got a guy who's standing there, and he's either got a flaccid or erect penis. Uh, His hands are down by his side. That's just artistic nudity. Mm -hmm. Now all you do is move his hand onto his penis, onto his uh, erect penis, and now it looks masturbatory. So now two two five seven attaches. You know, she in the female photograph, she puts her hands between her thighs and spreads her lips, masturbatory. So two two five seven attaches. Right. And then when you get into you know what people don't realize sometimes is they don't think that masturbatory stuff is pornography like well it's just solo i'm not having sex with anybody no but if you're penetrating an orifice with an object it's really considered hardcore
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right because you're not going to see that uh, you know in a mainstream movie you'll see nudity in a mainstream movie you'll see you know fake sex in a mainstream movie but as soon as you see insertion of an object into an orifice You won't see that in a mainstream movie that defines what pornography is. And people think, Oh, well, that's no big deal because I'm not doing it with anybody. It's not really porn. No, it is. And you're a pornographer. So, you know, you have to start following the rules of the other pornographers. And I think that's one of the big issues is that, you know, I do have, I I do have content creators who are only fans models that make a lot of money. And I realize that they're in the top, you know, point zero one or 0.1% of OnlyFans models so they can afford to have an attorney. Mm-hmm. And I do recognize and realize that, you know, 99% of the models on OnlyFans may not be able to f- afford an attorney because they're just simply not making enough per month that makes it worthwhile. Yep. And, and so what they should really do is kind of get together and say, Hey, there's five of us, you know, Mr. Lawyer, you know, adult biz law, Corn law, Mr. Faderosi. we would like to book an hour consult with you. What's your price? Five hundred dollars. So they all pay me a hundred dollars and we have a joint phone okay. call where there's no there's no client confidentiality. Because they're all speaking on the same line, but it gives them an hour to ask questions and they're only spending a hundred where they pool their, their resources and they can all get their questions answered. And they're not doing things like that. Not that I see that they're doing, I'm not getting those, those types of phone calls.
0: Well, maybe they just don't know. I mean, oftentimes you like kind of going into a doctor's, a doctor's office. You don't really understand that, you know, it's not like I'm going to take five of my friends in there and we're all going to kind of (laughs) co-pay. Maybe they just don't realize because I mean, for me, hearing, hearing you say that, that you can get your friends together that might also be even thinking about opening an OnlyFans account or maybe they're thinking about doing a scene together. Again, I'm, I'm using a lot of swingers in this scenario because, you know, that's obviously what we know. But even if it's five swingers, you know, two couples and a single getting together talking about a scene, I can imagine mm-hmm. spending $100 each on discussion with yeah. you around, hey, there's five of us. We're going to do three different scenes today. We're curious what we should put in the contract. We're curious what would happen if X, Y, Z. I mean that I would see that hour is um, invaluable. So maybe it's just purely from the fact that people don't realize that, that you can do that.
1: I don't think they realize that they need to talk to an attorney. I don't think they even take to that. I, I you know, I don't because I, I never get asked that question. You know, if I got asked that question, I'd be like, Yeah, people but people don't realize. They just you know, they look at it like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna have sex with my neighbor, I'm gonna give my neighbor a blowjob and I'm gonna record it and I'm gonna put it up on OnlyFans, I'm gonna make some extra money. And it's fun, you know, it's what, you know, what everybody's doing, but it's still pornography.
0: Well, to to wrap up today, Michael, and you've been a great resource. So thank you very much. But I always like to ask people what their gold star piece of advice is. So again, you're looking at a a brand new adult performer starting out today after listening to this show and thinking, hell yeah, I'm going to go set up an account. What's your gold star piece of advice that you would give that new person?
1: All my advice is gold star.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bonus and gold star.
1: I mean, listen, all of the stuff that we've already talked about is gold star advice. It's things that people need to be talking about. They need to be considering it. They need to be talking to an attorney when they set up these things. They should be talking to an accountant. If they're serious about having either a side hustle or having a brand, they need to do these things. And if you're going to take it a little bit further and you want to become a brand, And you want to become better known, then yeah, you should be thinking about, you know, setting up your own websites to trademarking your name, your stage name, uh, having logos that are also trademarked, copywriting your uh, content so it's not stolen and passed all over the Internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you get there's just so much that you have to learn as a business owner that you can't learn it all by yourself. I I'm the registered agent on a bunch of sites where people send me DMCA takedown notices and often. So often I get DMCA notices from talent that are like, you know, two lines. Hey, I own this content. Take it down. <laughs> like that's you have to know what the law requires for me to act on your DMCA takedown notice. It, it, it requires certain things legally. And so, yeah, you may not learn that. And it's going to frustrate you because when you write to me or you write to another DMCA agent, and they blow you off and you wonder why your content's still up. That's because you haven't taken the time to learn. And if you don't have the time to learn, but you have the money to pay, then hire a DMCA company to go out there and find your content and take it down. You know, if you don't have the time to learn all of the rules and the regulations about, you know, producing porn, hire the attorney. Don't do your own taxes. You know, hire the accountant. Have a team of people because if you're really going to build that brand, if you really want to make the kind of money that, that you think you're capable of making, that's what people in Hollywood do. You know, people in Hollywood, they have managers, they've got agents, they've got lawyers, they've got PR people. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with people who are on OnlyFans that can uh, get to that level. I mean, there are there are women that I represent on OnlyFans that make more money than, you know, B-level actresses do in Hollywood.
0: Well I guess one of the one of the distinguishing factors that you just mentioned there that I that I want to kind of close off this episode with Michael is you said business how these people relate and how knowledgeable they are about their business I think what's missing is oftentimes that people don't realize this is a business and as soon as you start thinking that this is a business and you're trying to earn money and you need to think on those lines of what we said before, you wouldn't open a shop in a local county selling marijuana, for example, without knowing that it's legal to do so. You exactly. wouldn't start a business selling um, maybe foreign imported wood materials unless you knew it was okay to do so. I think that that is, that is the key here. It's You need to take it seriously. You need to consider that it's a business. It's not necessarily a hobby and you need to kind of go down those lines. So. Really appreciate everything that you've said today, Michael. It's been super knowledgeable and if you are out there listening, want some support, even want to grab those forms from the website because I think $125, to be honest, is is really cheap. So if you guys want to head over and find all that information, head to the show notes today adultbizlaw.com, and you can find all of Michael's details. Michael, thank you so much for all of your time today. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it.